Are you serious about faith? As we look in the book of Mark today, Mark chapter 1, I want us all to ask that question of ourselves. Are you serious about faith? And let me pray for God to be with us as we open his word today. Father God in heaven, thank you for this morning. Got a time to gather with your people as your people. Lord, a time to worship you through singing, through prayer, through proclaiming the good news of Jesus over one another. I got through fellowship, through communion, and now through the opening of your scriptures and the proclamation of your word. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would dwell here with us and inhabit the praises of your people. God, open our minds to understand, open our ears to hear, open our hearts to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that you would transform us by your spirit, transform us personally in our friendships, relationships, marriages, families. I got as a church community together. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants and followed him. This is God's word. Friends, the call of the gospel is to repent and believe. The call of Jesus is to repent and believe. As we look at what it means to be serious about faith, I want us to ask that question of ourselves today. Are you serious about faith? And when we open God's word, we see the call of the gospel to repent and believe. Now, we look at the scriptures here, believe in the gospel. So, we see, next week we'll be talking about repenting. This week we're talking about believing. Believe in the gospel. So we have to ask ourselves, what is the gospel, and what does it mean to believe? If we're going to be serious about faith, we need to know, what is the gospel, and what does it mean to believe in the gospel? The gospel simply is good news for the kingdom. It is not strictly a religious word. The word gospel in the first century was used to, uh, in the Roman Empire. Anytime there was good news to be proclaimed, that was called gospel, good news. Good news for the kingdom, good news of the king, good news of good stuff going on. The gospel is good news. News that must be proclaimed. Otherwise, it's not really news or it's not really good. And we see that this word has political implications, relational implications, but biblically speaking, Jesus says, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The good news is that the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what the gospel is, biblically speaking. It's good news of God's kingdom. It's good news of the work of Jesus. It's good news about Jesus and what he's doing. 
we see the beginning of Mark, the very first verse says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So if you read the whole book of Mark, this is the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus. And Jesus sets foot on the scene, proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God, saying the time is fulfilled, his kingdom is at hand. Now repent and believe in the gospel. You see, the gospel is good news that is to be proclaimed. The gospel is good news about Jesus. The gospel is something that evokes a response. And what we're looking at today and next week particularly in faith and repentance, taking this thing seriously, is we're looking at the response to the gospel. When the gospel's proclaimed, there's a response that has to happen. And Jesus says, repent and believe. And we see after that people follow him because of the proclamation of this good news. So the gospel is the the core of, of why we exist. It's why we gather here on Sundays. We proclaim this good news of God's kingdom. We proclaim the good news of the personal work of Jesus. We proclaim the gospel so that we would repent, believe, and follow Jesus. If you're here today, the gospel's for you. The gospel is for prodigals, those who are lost, those who are rebels, those who are, have lost their way. The gospel is for religious people so that we can repent of our idolatry and our goodness and turn to our Savior. The, repentance is for, or the gospel is for Christians, those who know Jesus, so that we can know him further and more deeply. We're reading a book right now in our men's group called The Explicit Gospel by Pastor Matt Chandler. And he says, The heart of the hearer of the gospel must move either toward Christ or away from him. When you hear the gospel, your heart has to be stirred either toward faith and repentance and worship and obedience to follow Jesus or your heart will respond with hardness. No one can hear the gospel and not respond. So friends, as we gather today and ask this question of ourselves, are you serious about faith? It was my prayer before I even stood up here is that God would soften our hearts, that God would stir up our hearts to worship and obedience and faith and repentance, believing and following Jesus rather than having hardened hearts and walking away. So we see when we say, are you serious about faith? First and foremost, it begins with the gospel, with the proclamation of the good news of God's kingdom, the proclamation of the good news of the person and work of Jesus. As Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's good news. But secondly, we see what does it mean to believe? We can say, Jeremy, we want want to be serious about faith, so there's the gospel. And Jesus says, repent and believe. We'll talk about repentance next week. This week we're talking about belief. What does it mean to believe? When you read in the scriptures, when when you read your Bible, the word believe or belief is often the same word that can be translated faith. Belief and faith are often used interchangeably, uh, are often translated the same way. The word faith or belief is a verb. It's a command. Jesus proclaims the good news of the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. So friends, when I ask you this, are you serious about faith? Faith is not a stagnant thing. It is an action. 
Often if we were to uh, translate it more verbally, it would be faithing, repent and faithing the gospel. Right? It's, a, it's an action, it's a command, it's something you do, it's not something you just have. As humans, we are hardwired to follow someone or something. It's within our nature to to pursue an idea or a philosophy or to adhere to some sort of uh, set of standards. And often those things can be our own personal preferences that can be prompted by sin or rebellion. Sometimes it could be things that are prompted maybe by good tradition, good moral codes, things that are good. But when Jesus sets foot on the scene proclaiming the good news of God, he does not say, hey, I'm here proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, be more moral or be more traditional in this area or, you know what, you have such freedom, just do whatever you want and your preference and your heart's content, just do that. Does he say that? No. As he proclaims the good news, he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Faith in the gospel. Be serious about faithing in the gospel. Often we limit belief or faith to merely adhering to an idea rather than action. And if you're like me and you grew up in, in a church, which I, which I did, and growing up in a church in this town, it's easy for us to say, well, you know what, I believe in Jesus. You've often heard me say, well, I have this idea that, you know, when I was eight years old and I prayed a prayer and was baptized... I wrote the date down on the inside of my Bible so that if anybody said, hey, are you a Christian? I'd say, of course, because right here, June 29th, 1986, I prayed a prayer to receive Jesus. And then July 14th, I was baptized in a creek. It's not a bad thing to celebrate what God did in my life as an eight-year-old. I remember those dates very vividly. But when Jesus comes on the scene saying, repent and believe in the gospel, it's not only adhering to this idea but it's an ongoing faith thing, an ongoing verbal thing that you do, not just an idea that you compartmentalize. There's a lot of medical people in the room, and if you're not a medical person, you probably have met one or been to the doctor sometime. And can you imagine how this would play out in our lives? Because like, we, we say, well, faith is something I have. I believe that Jesus did this, or I believe that Jesus said this, or I have all these theological ideas and philosophical ideas, moral code, I think those things. That's often how we compartmentalize belief. Can you imagine going into surgery, and like you're laying on the table, like in your little gown, and the guy's like about to put the, you know, anesthesia, about to knock you out, and right before the doctor walks in and says, hey, I'm doing surgery. Um, I went to med school 20 years ago, and I think that this will work. Good night. How would you feel about that? How would you feel if a doctor walked in and said, hey, I believed in med school 20 years ago that this would work. I haven't, I haven't practiced it, haven't even cleaned the scalpel, haven't really done anything in 20 years, but 20 years ago I read something in medical school that this surgery would work. So here we go. Dude, get me out of there, right? You wouldn't want to go to surgery if somebody said, hey, I believed something up here 20 years ago. In the same way, when we ask this question, are you serious about faith? It is not a mere understanding of an idea from your past or from the Bible's past, but rather the call to repent and believe in the gospel is more than up here, an idea. It is an ongoing faith thing, an action. It's something that you do. So to be serious about faith is something that we are 
engaging in constantly, personally, and together, in marriage and family, and as a church community. And we mustn't lose sight of this. Because Scripture shows us that faith is not merely adhering to an idea, but rather it's belief in the promises of God. It's ongoing relational trust in Jesus that he's the fulfillment of those promises. And that is inextricably tied to the proclamation of the gospel. So we see the gospel is good news to be proclaimed about the work of God and the person of Jesus. And we see that faith is belief in action, in relational trust. So I want to break it down this way. To unpack faith in a threefold manner, we'll say that faith is first and foremost believing the promises of God, the Father. Faith is secondly an ongoing relational trust in Jesus the Son. And thirdly, faith is prompted and sustained by the Holy Spirit of God. So first, let's look at this. Faith is believing the promises of God. Not just, I believed it once, but an ongoing believing the promises of God. Like, I know know the promises of God, and I believe and trust those promises, right? See, from the beginning of human history, God created man and woman in his image. He created everything out of nothing, creates man and woman, so that they would walk with him. Sin and rebellion enters the world. The relationship is, is broken, But God promises restoration. Even in the book of Genesis, right at the very beginning, God promises that someone will come to set all things right and that God will by no means be an unfaithful God to his people, though they be unfaithful. So faith is believing the promises of God. A few hundred years before the time of Christ, the prophet Zechariah, speaking on behalf of the Lord, says this, I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. This is a beautiful promise through the prophet Zechariah of God speaking, saying, I will, I will gather my people from exile, from oppression. I will gather them together to be my people. They will be my people. I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Now, a study in that passage, because those two words are big, faithfulness and righteousness, right? Like faithfulness, righteousness. And when you look at that, what are those two qualities, who are those two qualities referring to? Is it referring to God being faithful and righteous? Or is it referring to God's people being faithful and righteous? Huh? I mean... Just, we'll read it again. They shall be my people, I will be their God, in faithfulness and righteousness. I was perplexed all week, like digging through commentaries and studies, saying, who does it refer to? Does it mean, they shall be my people, in faithfulness and righteousness, and I'll be their God? Or is God saying, I will be their God, in faithfulness and righteousness, and they will be my people? And as I was studying it linguistically, it could go both ways. And most scholars are asserting that the prophet Zechariah, speaking on behalf of God, wrote it that way because it can go both ways. Saying that when God rescues his people, when God promises to gather his people, he says, I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, the holy city of peace. I will gather my people and I will be their God to them because I'm a faithful, righteous God. And because of what I'm doing, 
I am promising that when I gather them and I'm their God in faithfulness and righteousness, they too will dwell here in faithfulness and righteousness. Do you see that? That's a promise of God. This is God saying, hey, he's not saying you better be faithful, you better get right, and if you're faithful and right, then I'll gather you to my holy city. Is that what scripture says? We are unfaithful people. We can't be faithful. Human history shows that we're not faithful people. No one ever has been except Jesus. We do not believe the promises of God. We do not trust God. Right at the very beginning of the scriptures, God makes one man and one woman and they blow it. Don't judge them. We would have done the same thing. We, we do it, some of us, right now. Like, I, don't, I don't believe you, Jeremy. I mean, just think about it. Ask yourself this question right now as you hear this. Are you serious about faith? Like, what, what's God doing in your heart right now? Are you saying, Jeremy, I don't believe that's what that means? I, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just trying to, this is God's word, man. Let him convince you. May God soften our hearts to receive and believe the gospel. That's all I'm asking. Because God says, I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. I'm a faithful God. I am a faithful and righteous God. And when they dwell with me in my city, then they will be faithful. Then they will be righteous. See, that excites me because what that means is you don't have to get right to come to the Lord, but rather the Lord rescues you and makes you right. You don't have to be faithful in order to approach the Lord. The Lord says, dude, you are unfaithful. I'm going to rescue you and then gather you and then you'll be faithful. Isn't that great? That's a promise of God. This is the prophet Zechariah saying, I, I mean, speaking on behalf of the Lord, I will bring them, my people, to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people. I mean, when God says they shall be my people, they shall be his people. God's not saying, I wish they'd be my people. I'll give it my best. No, they shall be my people. And he rescues them. And he says, I will be their God. And faithfulness and righteousness. Man, that's so exciting. So we see here the promises of God the Father to rescue his people and that because of his rescue, because he's a faithful God, a righteous God, his people will be rescued and once he rescues them, they will be faithful and righteous. That's a promise. I believe it. Do you? Are you serious about this? Are you serious about the promises of God the Father? Are you serious about faith? Right? Another prophet, man, the Old Testament's awesome, Right? Bust out some prophets, right? Ezekiel chapter 36 says this. is God speaking through another prophet. Ezekiel making more promises because God makes promises and keeps them. It's awesome. He says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all of your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers. You shall be my people. I will be your God. Man, this verse makes me weep. Why? Because God is making a promise to gather his people. Look at what he does when he gathers his people. I mean, do you see what he does? I will bring you to your own land. I will sprinkle you with water. 
I will remove your uncleanness. It's God's promise to his people and to you that he will remove your uncleanness. You may be squirming in your seat right now saying, I'm filthy, Jeremy. You won't believe what I did yesterday. You won't believe what happened Friday night at that party. You won't believe what my college dorm room saw. You won't believe what I looked at on the internet. Jeremy, you won't believe what I said to my wife. Jeremy, you won't believe how I treated my kids this weekend. Jeremy, you won't believe how I treat my parents or what I do at work or don't do at work. God promises to make you clean. You are not defined by what you have done or what you are thinking. You are not defined by the struggle you have or the sin you're entangled in. You're not defined by that in Christ. He makes you clean. You don't have to clean yourself up. God does it for you. It's the only way you can get clean. That's a promise from God. Faith is believing the promise of God. Do you believe that promise that he can take away your uncleanness? Look at that. He says, from all your idols, I will cleanse you. I mean, there's a difference between sin and idol. Sin is like you know, doing stuff that you shouldn't do or not doing stuff that you should do. It's rebellion. Idols is, is what you go to as your rescue. You can say, man, I don't want to be a sinner anymore, so I'm going to turn from that sin and grab this idol. I mean, unless it's Jesus you're running to, it's an idol. It can be therapy. It could be... A relationship. It could be a good thing, but if you make it an ultimate thing, it's an idol. And, and God says, look, I'm going to cleanse you from those idols. Look at this. He's not a, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. And God is promising to renew us from the inside out. I will remove your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh. Take away that hard heart, give you a soft heart. It's also like a prophecy about, about Jesus, like hey, the temple and then Christ. Different dual prophecy going on here. I'll put my spirit within you. I'll, oh, I love this one. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. See, I love that. God doesn't say, hey, you know those rules I give you? Just get rid of them. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> he doesn't say that. Nor does he say, you better keep these rules or else. If you want to get clean and forgiven and renewed, keep the rules. He doesn't say that. He says, look, you can't keep the rules, but when I put my spirit within you, then you will obey. Then you will walk in my statutes. It, it's exactly what Zechariah was saying. Like, God has to change us, renew us, rescue us to make us faithful, to make us righteous. We can't be faithful and righteous and then come to God and say, look how faithful and righteous I am. No, we, we're a mess. And God rescues us cleans us, gives us a new heart, a new spirit, and then causes us to obey, causes us to walk in righteousness. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. That's a promise. That's good news. Right? So friends, what does that look like for you? And when we say faith, are you serious about faith? Faith is believing the promises of God the Father. Those are just two examples of God's promises to his people. Just two. Read the Bible, man. It's full of promises. Do you believe those promises? Faith is believing the promises of God the Father. May it be so. May you believe it. But secondly, faith is not only believing in the promises of God the Father, but faith is also 
an ongoing relational trust in Jesus. It's a relational trust, not just a, hmm, I think that's right. It's part of that. It's, it's intellectual. Yes, you believe the promises of God the Father in your, in your head, and your heart, but it's also like a relational trust that Jesus, the Son, is the fulfillment of those promises. We're going to hop around to a couple of different scriptures again here because I, I want us to connect the dots. I, mean, I want us to weave it all together. Otherwise, which, uh, let's just go eat somewhere, right? I want us to connect the dots of the Bible. Okay, Mark, where we just read, Mark chapter 1, verse 14, says that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. It's proclaiming the good news of who God is and what he's doing, who he is, Jesus, and what he's doing. The good news of the kingdom saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. So, for someone before the time of Christ or right in the time of Christ, there was this anticipation that God's kingdom was going to come in. I mean, that's what we saw Zechariah saying, look, I will bring God saying to the prophet Zechariah a couple hundred years before Jesus, saying, look, I'm going to gather my people. They're going to dwell in the holy city. I will be their God. They will be my people in faithfulness and righteousness. That's a snapshot of the kingdom to come. The prophet Ezekiel, same thing, says, look, God is going to gather his people. God says, you will dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people. I will be your God. You'll have a new heart, a new spirit. You're going to walk in righteousness and faithfulness. God's going to do that in his kingdom. So there's this anticipation of the kingdom of God coming in. Everybody's biting their nails saying, when is God's kingdom going to show up? And then Jesus sets foot on the scene and says, the time is fulfilled. Everything you've been waiting for, here, it, here I am. I mean, even the prophet Ezekiel talks about, uh, says that God will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. There's an interpretation that that means that, that God is removing the stone temple from Jerusalem and giving a heart of flesh, giving a Jesus, like God incarnate. It's complicated. It's good news, though. So faith is believing the promises of God the Father, but faith, is also an ongoing relational trust in Jesus the Son. Trusting that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. I mean, if God promises to make us clean, to make us righteous, to make us faithful, to gather us, how is he going to do that? Jesus. Jesus. Do you trust Jesus? Are you serious about faith? Because if you are, do you believe relationally trusting that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God. God promises to make you clean. How? Jesus. God promises to forgive you. How? Jesus. God promises that we can walk in righteousness and faithfulness, obeying the scriptures, obeying God's command. How are we going to do that? Jesus did it perfectly for us on our behalf and then empowers us to live lives differently. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit to dwell with us and in us. That is the fulfillment of God's promise through Ezekiel that I will give you a new spirit. I'll put a new spirit within you. Do you see it? It's exciting because faith is believing the promises of God the Father, but faith is also relational trust that Jesus is the fulfillment of those things. Because faith is not just believing in something, it's moreover trusting someone. Jesus, the Messiah, our rescuer. The Gospel according to Matthew says it this way. In Matthew chapter 16, this is so neat. <laughs> neat is such a weak adjective to describe how amazing this is. But I went to school here, so there we go. 
Matthew chapter 16 says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they say, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, in the statement, people were saying, you know, there's this uh, prophecy in Daniel of of the Son of Man coming who has all authority from God the Father, all authority to rule and make things right and to reign supreme. And people are saying, well, who's that Son of Man going to be? Maybe it's just this guy or this guy or this guy. Jesus sets foot on the scene, and people are saying, he starts referring to himself as the Son of Man. And some people say that's that's just a, a reincarnated prophet, or he's just a new prophet. So Jesus asks his disciples, like, who, who do you say that I am? And Peter has this bold proclamation, a proclamation of faith, a proclamation of relational trust. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. In that moment, Simon Peter is responding in a statement of relational trust that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises. So what does it mean for you and I today to have ongoing relational trust in Jesus because I hope you're tracking with me saying look I know faith is believing the promises of God the Father I want to believe the promises of God the Father I want to be serious about that so I hope you're studying scripture and praying scripture and searching scripture and praying to God say God I believe the promises you have for us but faith is also ongoing relational trust in Jesus the Son so what does that mean Like, what does that look like for you and I today I mean, for one, if you are a Christian, you you have at least at one point in time come to, uh, the Spirit has erupted within you to trust that Jesus will save you from your sin. For me as an eight-year-old, it was like, I'm trusting that Jesus will not send me to hell, but take me to heaven. That was like the mere basic understanding I had as an eight-year-old. Is it true? Yeah, it's true. Is there more to it? Yeah, still learning. So relational trust in Jesus. So what does this look like for you and I today? I mean, hopefully there's a cosmic trust you have that, yes, I know ultimately Jesus will save me from sin and Satan and death. But how, is, how are you trusting Jesus like right now? Are you trusting that Jesus is good enough tomorrow when you go to work? Or are you saying, Jesus is okay, but I'd rather have this promotion and I'm going to put my morals aside and step on people in order to get that promotion because that promotion is more important to me than Jesus. Or maybe you're like, you know, I'm tired of being lonely. I want to date somebody. I'm tired of looking for a Christian person to date. So I'm going to put my morals aside and date whoever because Jesus isn't good enough for me and so I'd rather have someone in my bed tonight. Maybe you're thinking, uh, you know, I need to find a way to shaft somebody out of some money because I need more money. Money is more important than Jesus. Friends, here's the thing. As we've gone through the book of Ephesians in the past several months, we see that our identity is in Christ. But our identity is lived out in different roles. Husbands, fathers, wives, mothers, students, employees, neighborhood, neighbors, How does trust in Jesus play out in your day-to-day lives? As you parent your kids, 
as you love your spouse, as you date a potential mate, as you go to work tomorrow, as you study, as you relate to others in this church, as you go home and speak to your neighbors. So finally, we see that first, faith is believing the promises of God the Father. Secondly, faith is an ongoing relational trust in Jesus the Son. And thirdly, faith is prompted and sustained by the Holy Spirit. It's an action that is prompted and sustained by the Holy Spirit of God. It's like a three-legged stool. You have to have all three, otherwise it's not Christian faith. I'll just say that out there right now, right? If you want to be serious about faith, if I ask you, are you serious about faith? Well, I'm serious about one of these. Well, it's a one-legged stool you got there. You have to be serious about all three. Faith is believing the promises of God the Father. Faith is ongoing relational trust in Jesus the Son. And faith is action that's prompted and sustained by the Holy Spirit of God. You see what happens when, when Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replies, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is a statement of believing the promises of God that would send a Messiah. That's believing that Jesus relationally is that fulfillment of that promise. But it's also an action prompted by the Holy Spirit. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. You see what happens from Peter's bold proclamation. It's not something that's just like a physical thing, like, hey, I'm Peter, I'm smart, I figured this out. No. God revealed that to him. And there are promises throughout the Bible that God, you know, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to dwell with his people when we gather to worship. When you read the book of 1 Corinthians, you see that the Holy Spirit is in you personally and the Holy Spirit dwells with us as we gather together like a temple, right? When you open the scriptures, the Holy Spirit inspired these words to be written and has preserved them throughout history. When you understand scripture, it's not because you're smart. You are smart. You're so smart. But if you understand scripture, if you understand scripture, it's because the Holy Spirit gives you understanding in your brain. If you believe, it's because the Holy Spirit is chopping up that hard heart and making it soft. And you say, wow, I believe this. I'm trusting Jesus. So faith is an action that's prompted and sustained by the Holy Spirit of God. I mean, you see what happens next. after, Back to the Gospel of Mark, after Jesus proclaims the Gospel, says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom is at hand, repent, believe in the Gospel. The next thing you see is a bunch of fishermen are following Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. And they're like, yeah. Why do they follow him? Does he say, I got ice cream sandwiches. Let's follow Jesus. No. Do they follow Jesus because they're like, man, fishing is horrible. Let's follow Jesus. No. They follow Jesus because the Holy Spirit erupts within their heart. Faith, belief, trust. They say, that guy, I'm going to relationally trust that guy more than I trust my family, my heritage, my tradition. I mean, these guys hop out of their boats. They leave everything. It's like generations of family business at stake here. They say, you know what? Father, we love the family business, but Jesus is better. Father, we thank you for opportunity to work, but Jesus is better. God, Father, thank you for the money that we're making when we catch fish, but Jesus is better. Does that happen because 
Jesus is just like awesome looking? Does that happen because their work environment was so horrid? No. It happens because the Holy Spirit of God prompts an understanding in their minds. That's what the Holy Spirit does throughout the Bible. Like takes blind eyes, makes them see. Takes deaf ears, makes them hear. Takes hardened hearts, makes them beat with life. Takes stinky fishermen and makes them say, Jesus is the fulfillment for God's promises. Everything you've been waiting for for generations is coming true. And that man, drop everything, let's go. That's what happens. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit prompts and sustains faith and action to follow Jesus. Verse 17, Jesus says, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Follow me. That means believe the promises of God. That means trust Jesus relationally. That means the Holy Spirit is prompting action to go do stuff. The word fo- I mean, follow means it's a discipleship. You, you, as a disciple, you become more like who you follow. So to follow Jesus means you were believing and trusting, and as you, as you follow Jesus, you're becoming more like him. I love that the call to follow Jesus is not just follow me, and I will make everything happy. Follow me, and you will be rich. Follow me, and you'll have friends. No, he says, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. You will be proclaimers of this good news with me. That's why we're here. (laughs) Right here, right now. All because of the gospel. As we follow, we become more like Christ. And that's good news. So to wrap it up in conclusion, I ask you, are you serious about faith? And we can put it in the verbal action. Are you serious about faithing? Ongoing faithing. <laughs> Are you serious about believing the promises of God the Father? Are you serious about ongoing relational trust in Jesus the Son? Are you serious about following Jesus because the Holy Spirit is prompting you and sustaining you and teaching you and shaping you to be more like Jesus. This is what's so exciting is, is this is not like an individual sport. Being serious about faith is a team event. So I'll just say, if you're like, I'm serious, leave me alone. Well, then you're not serious. Like, I'm serious about soccer. Have fun playing that by yourself. Right? Christian faith is a team sport, man. So are you serious about faith? Are you serious about believing the promises of God, trusting Jesus, following Jesus together to become more like him as we learn and grow and change and then also are fishers of men proclaiming the gospel to the city? I am. Let's go, right? Together. Woohoo! Let's have a picnic today. You want to? We're having a picnic today. There you go. It's not raining. We're going to have a picnic this afternoon. It's in your bulletin. So how do we do this? I'll just say this, friends. This is my hope and prayer. I've been praying all week for you and for me and that that God would just teach us so much on what it means to be serious about faith, belief in the promises of God, relational trust in Jesus, and and ongoing action sustained by the Holy Spirit together as we, we, us, follow Jesus together and and are, are becoming more like him together and are proclaiming the gospel as fishers of men together. I'm excited. I'm excited. 
That's it. Are you serious about faith? Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for a morning uh, to gather with your people as your people, to open your word, God, to um, see your promises to your people throughout all generations. God, for hundreds of years, you as a loving father have been chasing down your wayward children through times of rebellion and disobedience and foolishness. You have always remained faithful. You have always remained righteous, even though we have been the rebellious, foolish people, wicked children. God, thank you for your grace that you do not beckon us to get right and to be faithful and to be righteous so that we can be with you, but rather you rescue us. You save us. Jesus, thank you that you are the fulfillment of those promises of rescue that you do for us what we could not do for ourselves, that you make us clean by your death, that you make us righteous by your perfect life, that you rose again conquering Satan, sin, and death, and that you promise to do the same for us, and that as you ascend to the throne on high, you send your Holy Spirit to dwell with us, to inhabit our praises, to transform us, to convict us of sin, to give us understanding of Scripture, to cause us to walk in obedience to your laws and statutes to give us joy. God, I'm overwhelmed. I'm blown away. And God, as we sit here and ponder what it means to be serious about faith, God, I pray that you would convict our souls. God, may may you remove all stubbornness and pride and unbelief and unfaithfulness. Remove that from me. Remove that from us personally. Remove that from us as a church. God, give us a heart, a flesh. Give us your spirit. God, give us belief. Give us faith. And may we always believe your promises. May we always trust you, Jesus. And may we walk May we follow you in obedience, empowered by your Holy Spirit. God, I ask you, please, to do this for your glory and our joy, and that the gospel may be proclaimed to all the nations starting here. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.